And then um, I just got really drunk and met an old friend. He just happened to come in to the bar. Mm -hmm. He actually played soccer with my younger brother. And um, we thought it was a great idea to go get some cocaine. Mm -hmm. And from that moment on, when I left the bar, I think we were in the same car. I have no recollection huh. until I ended up at a quick trip gas station, mm -hmm. passed out in my car with the cops knocking on the window, with my car running, radios blaring, and got arrested. And then my parents, their car got towed um, and went to jail. That was probably my, f I went to jail probably five times in the last month before I sobered up. Like every weekend I was going. Oh, wow. It was almost like the same officer too. It's like, mm. you know, again, when are you ever, yeah. when are you going to learn? You know, when are you ever going to learn? So on that last day in jail, which was really, I, it's really vivid. Um, I was walking in and it seemed like everybody was just screaming. And I was, they were walking me to my cell. Uh, they put me in the cell that they're worried somebody was going to self-harm them. So I was, at this point, I was basically out of my mind. Um, and I was just sitting in the middle of my jail cell and God walked in. Ty, how does it feel to be the least jacked and tan guy on this podcast today? Well, I'm always the least tan guy on the podcast. <laughs> Hold on, Mr. Vitamin D deficient. <laughs> Update, I've got a blood, uh, blood draw tomorrow. Ooh. And so we're going to find out if I'm still the whitest disease known to man, white, vitamin D yeah, deficient. Yeah, did you hear about this guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, the whitest disease that you can have is to be vitamin D deficient. Right. Which, this dude had it. Which, what, 75% of Americans are vitamin D deficient? I don't know if you knew that or not. So uh -huh. No, don't try to, no, no, no. I'm part, of, a big, I'm part of an exclusive club. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Here's the deal. As Americans, we don't set the bar very high, man. <laughs> That's right. We sit inside and play video games and eat our, eat our McDonald's, which is the opposite of what our guest today mm -hmm. preaches and does. Mm -hmm. We are here with Nate Awad, who is a CrossFit coach here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Actually, my wife goes to his gym, or to right. the box, sorry. Goes the, goes yeah, the box. Yeah, box. box. Is that yeah, what y'all yeah, call it? Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. And so she was telling me about Nate, and, and, and his story was just incredible. And I said, man, we got to have, have Nate on the show. So he's also the founder and CEO, and I'm assuming – one-man band, I don't know how many uh -huh. you have on staff, but yeah. of a company called Jacked Addicts, yeah. which is, number one, it's a freaking awesome name. I was going to say. Because <laughs> I'm addicted to being jacked as well, so uh -huh. I love that name. But it has a different meaning than right. that, uh, which we'll get into here in a minute, uh, which they help outreach program, helps uh, alcohol and drug, uh, those struggling with alcohol and drug addiction. Uh, and their recovery. So, and by the way, if you didn't just talk about something like extremely powerful and important that you do for the community that 
of people that struggle with addicts, I would have called out you calling yourself super jacked. By the way. <laughs> right. We just breezed right over that. Uh, I was hoping you wouldn't catch that. Yeah, so. yeah bro. I'm super jacked. Yeah, into that. I'm addicted to and it. Not only did you do it once, you did it twice. Right. <laughs> now that we've lost half our artists, Nate, man, good to have you here. Yeah, Thank it's you for coming an honor down. to be here. I'm glad to be here. So yeah. thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we, we kind of gave you the rundown of how we usually do this podcast. And, and what we want to understand is, is where you come from, what your, what your story, what your background is. How did you become the guy that not only coaches you know, CrossFit but also helps people in their recovery? Right. And you have an incredible story, an incredible personal experience mm-hmm. with drugs and alcohol, and, and that's what we kind of wanted to discuss today. So take us back to the beginning, where you're from, what family life was like. Sure. Give us the rundown. Yeah, just uh, I was born in Denton, Texas, so local boy. Um, normal upbringing and with my family uh, my parents are still married and um, mm. they live locally they're retired and um, just kind of a normal upbringing I played sports tons of sports volleyball basketball baseball soccer was kind of my thing oh, nice. uh, growing up and I was really competitive in that you know club soccer travel a lot things like that um, had two brothers um, you know nothing really out of the ordinary yeah um, Got into high school. I uh, went to Marcus High School in, in Flower Mound, yep. and uh, you know, wanted to start hanging out with my older brother. He was about five years older, and and his friends. And that's kind of when I noticed maybe I had some social anxiety. I wanted to fit in, whatever. And that's kind of when I was introduced to you know drinking beer and, mm-hmm. and smoking pot. And, yeah. Um, just early, was, in, like freshman year of high school. I would this? say yeah, freshman. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It, it kind of started right away because he was. Uh, leaving um, high school as yeah. I was going in. So there were people, you know, I played soccer on the, on the varsity team when I was a freshman and things like that. And uh, they knew of him and knew of me coming in. So it was kind of just uh, just stepping into yeah. um, those people already knowing me yeah. and, and having an older crowd mm-hmm. um, that, I, that I would hang out with. Um, so it was just um, that just it started kind of like, okay, well, I, I like this, you know, I'm allowed to talk to people older than me. I can fit in with them mm-hmm. and, and just kind of fit in with the crowd. And it just parties on weekends. Um, I would, you know, smoke a joint behind the, the dumpster and at school and, and get high going to school and trying to make the bus because the bus was leaving for, for soccer games and, and, and going there and, and um, uh, drinking really, it, wasn't the biggest part of of what I was doing. It was more smoking, mm-hmm. you know, marijuana yeah. at that time. But I think getting through high school, um, I got a scholarship to play soccer. It was Tyler Junior College, just yeah. a small uh-huh. small school in Tyler, Texas, which they were always number one, number two in the nation in uh, the junior college mm-hmm. uh, divisions or whatever that was. So it was a really great program. But you know, me and school just never really got along um <laughs> and uh they didn't like that i just wanted to party and play soccer and not go to class so yeah. <laughs> eventually got kicked out and and that's when it is you know really taking hold you know it, it was just from weekends to is bleeding into the week of partying and hanging out with you know the wrong people and, and just getting um myself into trouble mm. and i was already starting to go getting arrested uh when i was 
going to school in in Tyler um, and and just getting into trouble. So, so do you feel like even in high school your your off the field habits or off the field pursuits were getting in the way of performance or do you feel like all right I was able to still compete at a high level and still do that and school was the main thing that suffered? I think it, it, they all, it all started to suffer. Okay. Um, I was able to hold on to my performance in, in sports and soccer and stuff like that longer than I was able to hold on to school. Yeah. Um, but it had a huge impact, and it just started, you know, taking over. What, what about your parents? And I don't mean specifically around this time, but just growing up, what was alcohol? Drug, what, were there conversations about those type of things, or was it more just kind of unsaid, and you just kind of figured it out on your own? It was just what we did. If yeah. family got together, it was, mm. you know, we, we drank. Um, yeah. My parents were from Missouri, um, so we would go up there and visit all the time, yeah. two or three times a year. And my, um, my grandparents owned a bowling alley, and they had, you know, bowling leagues, and, and that's what people that's did, what, yeah. bowling, yeah. you know, is drink and eat bar food and right and they would just give us free money to play video games and and that was just the life and yeah. that, that was it and so it was always just around it wasn't like it was around. a big deal or just no. part, of, part of normal life right yeah. and i mean if i look back at some of my relatives and and things like that yeah they were they were alcoholics mm-hmm. and so it, it runs pretty deep in the family and it goes back generations, and, yeah. and a lot of people struggled with it in our family. What, what, so. Do you remember the first time you tried it and what that experience was like? Did you like it? Was it like all of a sudden you were hooked? Like, do you remember that first time? Yeah, I remember the first time. I remember the first time I smoked weed. Uh-huh. It was with an old friend, um, and it was just, we were at a construction site and smoking out of a Coke can or something that we poked <laughs> holes in, and and that was it, and yeah. and and I liked it, and um, and then there was just you know the alcohol is what took hold, yeah, mm. eventually, right, yeah, and that was probably in college. That's when it really started to yeah just control things, and my life started to revolve around it. Um, and by the time I turned twenty one, it was like you know it was on. I was out of school. I wasn't. I was. I think I was waiting tables somewhere. I used to wait at the Carabas right down the road. Oh here. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so I I got into you know restaurant uh, industry, which you know just probably isn't great for. An I was going to say sure. I think I think that's a challenge too because I was a server and right mm-hmm. that's kind of what it was. Is like okay, hey, I you know I work a three to eleven o'clock shift. Yeah, I get off. And either my coworkers or I go meet friends and then you party and then you sleep in the next day and then you show up to work that next afternoon. Right. Like it kind of seems like mm-hmm. that's the cycle. And because, you know, it's typically, you know, 20 to 28 year old kids, right, mm-hmm. that, that, um, that didn't choose the college route. And so I could see how that could be a, a, a hard, uh, a hard setting. Yeah. That just encourages that for sure. Right. You said you liked weed the first time you did what, uh-huh. what was it did you like the feeling that it gave you did you like it allowed you to escape what was it yeah about it was, it it was the feel and, and yeah. it was just uh it was kind of i could i could just kind of detach from life mm. and that's were you trying to detach what, from something or just it was just not necessarily yeah i don't know maybe from myself or mm. um social anxiety or whatever because that's what once 
and we'll get to this once I got sober and clean, like that's was really apparent that that's what I struggled with okay. was anxiety and, and depression and, and being around people. Um, it took me years to be able to function like a, like a normal human, whatever yeah. that means these days. Yeah. Right. To be able to talk, to hold a conversation, um, not to react a certain way, not to, you know, to deal with emotions and, and mm. things like that. So it was, yeah. So, so, all right. So you're, you're living in Dallas and serving and the drinking starting to get out of hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, where does it go from there? Uh, so 21 is, I it probably, I was consider myself an alcoholic yeah. at that, at that point. Um, tried a couple different schools. I tried to go to El Centro to be a chef and, and things like that because just because I was in the restaurant industry and just stayed in the restaurant industry and, um, uh, became a bartender which, you know, probably it was even worse to be <laughs> than now being a not, server. Now you just know how to make them all. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it, it just it just kept progressively yeah. getting worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I got married uh, when I was 24. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just a disaster waiting yeah. to happen. I just wasn't a, in a good place to, to be married to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I could barely take care of myself. Um, so I was a great manipulator and a great liar. Um, and it's probably, you know, one of the greatest sales that I've ever made <laughs> to sell myself for somebody to marry me. Um, and that, yeah, right off the bat, just a disaster. So I ended up getting a divorce. Um, we had two children together, couldn't see my kids, um, and just kept getting worse. And once that happened, then I was just, downhill from there and kept going downhill when something bad would happen in your life um whether it be divorce losing you know custody of your kids did it compound the drinking did the drinking Mm -hmm. did that get worse at that point absolutely that was what you turned to absolutely it was basically um if something bad happened in my life, then I would turn to the alcohol or drugs and then that would just make things worse. So then I would drink again or do the drugs that, um, were causing the issue. Yeah. And it just became this vicious cycle of whatever happened in my life. The solution was drinking or doing drugs, which only made things way worse. Yeah. And then I would drink and do drugs again because of what, because it got got worse. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, just a vicious cycle, like you yeah. said. Yeah. So during this time, like, what were you aspiring mm-hmm. to do? Like, did you have a goal? Were you reaching for, you said you went, you tried to go maybe chef school. And uh-huh. There's some different things you tried. Yeah. Did you have an overall goal or was you just surviving um, at that point? Basically, all I knew was the restaurant business. So I guess that may have been a, a goal at the time is maybe somehow become a manager, maybe own a restaurant one day or be a chef, something, something like that. Um, but it just the drinking and drugs took hold and you know, there's no aspirations at at some point because you've, you've done so many bad things that it's just, you know, future doesn't seem feasible, Mm -hmm. anything in the future. Mm. And it just, keeps getting worse you know just so it just narrowed it narrowed life pretty quickly yeah isolated me i I ruined relationships i i would get fired from jobs i you know it it just 
best way to put it is like it, it just started really isolating me mm. because I didn't want people to see my mess. I didn't want people to see what was really going on in my life. And then I was able to just drink and do drugs alone. Yeah. Nobody could say, hey, that's a little too much probably. Right. <laughs> you know, it, it was just basically yeah. me and, and my demons. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's the fascinating thing about addiction and really anything that we seek for immediate comfort is that we're willing to damn everything else for that fix, for that immediate gratification. So that's the fascinating part about And I'm sure you've studied this over the years and, and uh-huh. gotten to know it a lot more, especially what you're doing now. In that time, did you know, like, were you aware that this isn't the path that I should be going down? Or were you just so deep into it that it, it didn't um, really matter? A little bit of both. Yeah. Um, I, I, I knew I had a problem. I knew I had, you know, major issues with it. Um, and, but it was, it was almost like stopping a, a train from rolling downhill. Yeah. And no matter what I did, I, I kept going back to it. No matter how many times I went to jail or, you know, what I screwed up in, in life. And um, it just... That, that was it, and that felt like my lot in life. And yeah. that's, that's, you know, I was going to die an alcoholic and drug addict. Wow. And, and this was all at, by age 24 that you... I, I, it was probably, I would say age 25 was really when it just, yeah, a good five years at that point of just Goodness. really getting dark and lost. Mm. And, um, yeah, divorced from uh, my first marriage and... Um, just the, the issues with the law started stacking up too. Yeah. So I ended up getting four DWIs. Wow. Uh, two got expunged. Um, I don't, I don't really know why I can't really explain it. <laughs> um, so I got really lucky there, um, in and out of jail. Uh, I've probably been in and out of jail 20 times. Wow. You know, I didn't really have long stays at, well, Two months is probably the longest day. I mean, which wow. that's plenty. That's yes. well, yeah. one night in, in jail is long enough. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so in and out of jail a lot. Ten years probation. I had assault charges, um, interfering with nine one one calls. Uh, just kept stacking up. Yeah. Were these and just at random parties? You were getting in trouble. What? Uh, what? Um, I would say the majority of it was towards the end of my active addiction, um, you know, I just, I just couldn't get out. I, I knew I needed to get out, but I, I just couldn't. It kept pulling me back in. It was like this really messed up comfort zone that wasn't comfortable at all, but it was like yeah. all I knew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, so I kept going back to it. Yeah. So I was just, um, and I'd say the last five years of my active addiction. So it was probably from 15 and I sobered up and got clean when I was 30 the last five years, I, I started getting into cocaine really bad. Mm-hmm. The alcohol was still there. And basically, the cocaine was to sober me up from all the drinking so yeah. I could drink more. Wow. wow. Interesting. Wow. And then it became wake up with a bottle of whiskey, probably drunk by 10 a.m. before I had to go to work. Somehow, still, I worked for my father-in-law. Paul, he, was, <laughs> he, he uh, somehow kept me on. I mean, he wow. knew what was going on. Yeah, um, not, not, to, not to pause you there, but if you're local, Paulio's Pizza, yeah. 
if if yeah. you're local here in DFW, you know Palio's Pizza. It's, it's right. one of the best pizza joints here in the DFW area. Mm-hmm. And you said your father-in-law is is the Palio's Pizza founder. Uh-huh. So oh, yeah, yeah. That's how I met my wife. Yeah. Wow. Which we want to get into that. But so you start <laughs> yeah. working at Palio's. Uh-huh. Yeah. At 25. How old were you at this I, point? I was probably about 25. Right. Yeah. So and you're working your way up into a management position. You're running mm-hmm. these stores. Yeah. All at the same time, you're you know, severely addicted to cocaine and alcohol. And how did you, uh, how did you, fu- like, how did you balance those things? I found a healthy mix of <laughs> alcohol and cocaine. <laughs> and it basically just became waking up with a bottle of whiskey, uh-huh. drunk by yes. 10 a.m. Uh-huh. And then, and then the cocaine. doing the cocaine to sober me up and then getting too high from the cocaine and then getting drunk again to, to bring, bring me down. down. And then what a wild... That was fluctuation. maybe three years. Three years of that. Rinse and repeat. Ooh. Is yeah. that daily? Is that? Yeah. Wow. Daily. And How are you I, still I, sitting here? Yeah. yeah. That's, what, that, that's what I'm like. <laughs> I mean, God is really the only yeah. answer. Yeah. Well, yeah. Is, is really the only answer. Yeah. I want to take a quick break and thank our partners, Sleep Number, and highlight a couple of things they're doing. Guys, these Sleep Number beds are unreal. The technology that they've created the feedback that it gives you on your sleep. I've got the app opened up right here. They tell you things like your heart rate, your heart rate variability, your breathing rate, all these type uh, metrics and feedback to give you so that you can improve your quality of sleep. They're all over the place. You can go and check yourself out, a sleep number store, wherever you live. Go to sleepnumber.com as well. They've got great resources on there. We just talked about this not too long ago. They have a whole blog section, all these articles, things that you can improve your health. Sleep number is definitely changing the game when it comes to betting. So get yourself to sleep number, get yourself to sleepnumber.com and check them out. Now back to the episode. I, th- I think of the movie Flight with Denzel Washington. Have you seen, have you seen that movie? I don't know movie? if I've seen that one. But that's, he's, he's a severe alcoholic and he, um, so he would drink while he's flying these commercial planes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. And then, but then he would drink all night, and then he'd be hurting in the morning, and then he'd, like, you know, take a bump of cocaine, and then then he'd fly, but then he'd drink during the flight. Anyways, well, they got in a crash, but what he did is he saved the flight. Like, he could, like, he did the absolute only thing that you could do so that not everybody died. Then he goes to court or whatever, and I just remember this scene, um, and, and this is, this is the, like I'm extremely empathetic to you, and I and I and I didn't struggle to that level. I did in college, I think, with alcohol, mm-hmm. but um, but he is supposed to show up in court, and his attorneys found some loophole to get him off. But all he had to do was show up, and he'd been sober for like twenty twenty or thirty days. He was clean. Well, he, in his hotel, there's a hotel bar. The little mini bar and right. and he literally like it's this it's this scene that like he grabs the little mini the yep. mini vodka mm-hmm. off and then they can't get a hold of him the next day that's it and they go and like literally comp- like drunk out of his mind and then they're like the only thing we can do is just give him more cocaine so right. like his attorneys give him cocaine so that he can show up to to this court case and I just man just the the emptiness that you feel watching it. Mm-hmm. And, and like just the sadness that you feel watching it. And then I I just can't imagine what it's like to live Mm -hmm. in that place for, for, for what you did. So in that time, I mean, 
how are your, your parents obviously have to know something's mm. going on, right? With right. the arrest and stuff like that. So what are the conversations to, to from your family or, or friends that maybe aren't, aren't in that crowd with you that are outside that you knew? I mean, are you getting anybody like, Hey man, you gotta, we gotta clean this up. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of conversations like that, but I wasn't ready to hear them. Yeah. And like I said at the beginning, it, Alcohol and drugs, it just isolates you because yeah. you don't want people to see your mess. You don't want to let yeah. them in. Yeah. So you will hide it, lie about it, whatever you have to, to where, you know, they don't know about it. And the, the funny thing is, is they know mm-hmm. what's going on. You just think you're really clever you at hiding. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so they, they know what's going on. Um, and, and it's just a sad reality. If, if the person isn't ready, mm-hmm. there's nothing, anyone or anything can do to make them ready that yeah. that's what i was going to ask you is mm-hmm. there anything anybody can say to somebody in that situation or is it more on that person that they just got to have a, a more on that or, person yeah. yeah yeah they God, have to sucks. be at a place where where they're ready because mm-hmm. if they're not then it'll be like that movie yeah. you know so that one thought comes into your brain you can just have one you've done good yeah just one so and how is a parent supposed to approach that then? Like that's what? a really, really good question. And um, that, it, it's, it's heartbreaking because a parent will do, they'll go bankrupt to help yeah, their kid. Absolutely. Yeah. And all that does is enable their kid to continue doing what they're doing. Yeah. Any sliver of help, any little bit of money, a, a place to live, Whatever it is, we will hold on to our addiction because we feel like we can. We're getting the help that we need to continue on. Mm-hmm. And it is heartbreaking you know, to see what my parents went through um, with me. It's just you don't have any control of it. They don't have any control right. of, of you. And they just see their son, you know, Death or prison was my yeah. destination, basically. Yeah. Those, those are the three options, death, prison, or you get free. Yeah. And that, that's what it, what it came down to. What was your relationship with your own children is this time, during this time? I uh, couldn't see them, wasn't involved. Um, I wasn't a good person. So uh, me being around had no benefit. It would yeah. only make things worse. Wow. And me and their mother was just so volatile. It wasn't a healthy environment yeah. for anyone, for anyone. So it was just tough. So take us to that point maybe that, okay, I am ready. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you, you said, what, 25 to 30? 30 is when I got sober. 30 is when you got sober. Uh-huh. What was it at that time that pushed you over the edge? Yeah, that uh, it was hundreds of prayers mm-hmm. of I, I need your help. Mm-hmm. I ran everybody off. My my mom and dad were barely holding on mm-hmm. with a little bit of hope. Um, all my friends, I ran them off. Everybody just. You know, I, I just wasn't a good person to be around. I was not a, 
I, I couldn't manage life. I couldn't manage anything. And I would choose drugs and alcohol over anyone. Mm. Um, so they held on. Um, and then my last stay in jail. Um, this was, I had stole my parents' car. Um, I was telling them I was going to AA meetings. Um, I was stealing uh bonds savings bonds out of their bank somehow i got access to it so i would steal from their bank cash those in get cash and that was supporting my habit they mm. they didn't know they yeah. eventually found out um and my last go around um i was driving their car um i blacked out i would black out and I had no clue where I was going, what I was doing. Um, and this was probably a four-hour, five-hour time period. Because I went to a local bar that I always went to. Um, and I, I would find bartenders that, you know, would, would know me or I would know them or I would be going for a while. And eventually they would, you know, hook me up with, with drinks and, and whatever. You know, I was really cunning and... and uh, I, I knew how to manipulate. You're a yeah, you were a good <laughs> right. salesman. Yeah. yeah, good good salesman for sure. And then um, I just got really drunk and met an old friend. He just happened to come in to the bar. He actually played soccer with my younger brother, and um, we thought it was a great idea to go get some cocaine. Mm. And from that moment on, when I left the bar, I think we were in the same car. I have no recollection huh. until I ended up at a quick trip gas station, mm -hmm. passed out in my car with the cops knocking on the window, with my car running, radios blaring, and got arrested. And then my parents, their car got towed um, and went to jail. That was probably my, f I went to jail probably five times in the last month before I sobered up. Like every weekend I was going. Oh, wow. It was almost like the same officer, too. It's like, mm. you know, again, when are you ever, yeah. when are you going to learn? You know, when are you ever going to learn? So on that last day in jail, which was really, I, it's really vivid. Um, I was walking in, and it seemed like everybody was just screaming. And I was, they were walking me to my cell. Uh, they put me in the cell that they are worried somebody was going to self-harm them. So I was, at this point, I was basically out of my mind. Um, and I was just sitting in the middle of my jail cell and God walked in. Mm. God walked in to the cell and set me free. That moment on, I never had a desire to drink or do drugs again. And it was like he poured warm oil over me, cast out my demons. Goosebumps telling it. Yeah, yeah. me too. And um, from that moment on, that was it. That, that was it. And I don't know why that was the moment. Um, it just was. Oh. And um, I, I, I don't know. I, there was no desire. It was gone. It was Did, taken from me. Describe that a little bit more. You said God walked in. So you're sitting there in your cell, mm -hmm. and then what? I mean, are you praying? Yeah. Are you asking him yeah, to what? come in? Are you consciously seeking him? So the... The friend that I was at the bar with somehow ended up, we weren't in the same car when I got arrested. Mm. He ended up, he was across the jail cell in another cell from me. 
So got arrested separately? Yeah, and somehow okay. ended up in the same jail cell. And he, w- he was not himself. When I say, like, people were screaming, it was, yeah. it was a spiritual battle, it yeah. seemed like, that I was walking into. And I was just sitting Indian style in the middle of the jail cell, um, just all this screaming going on. And I was at peace, and I felt joy. Hmm. And that's the best way that I can describe it. Uh, when is the last time you think you could honestly say you felt joy in your life before that moment? I don't, I don't <laughs> Ever? know. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe as a little kid playing yeah. sports with my brothers or something. That's amazing. But from 15 on, no, there's, you know, probably no joy at all. And just all of a sudden? All of a sudden. I was one way and... I, I was totally different, and the only thing was was him in the middle. So walk us through the next couple of days uh, of, of yeah, that. Yeah, were you like, scared? Like, <laughs> yeah, was there any part I, of you scared? Like, what, was, what happened to me? What? I was yeah, I was absolutely scared because I this was, you know, totally new to me. I, I've never felt this way. I've never, um, you know, as soon as I – Prior to that, if I got out of jail, I was looking for somewhere to go to get a drink or whatever. Uh, I phoned my parents, and they came and picked me up. Mm-hmm. Um, they went and got their car that got repoed, and this is divine as well. Um, there are scales in a bag with little baggies, like for distribution of mm-hmm. drugs. And I, I sold drugs growing up. Um, but that wasn't mine. And it was sitting just in the back seat open. So the cops somehow missed that, yeah. that. My parents were like, whose bag is this? And I, I didn't know. It wasn't even mine. And they're like, it was just sitting on the back seat when they picked up the car. So I, that's another thing. I mean, that's, you know, that's felonies. I was going to say, you're not yeah. in jail for a few days. Right. I'd probably that. still be there. Yeah. Um, so that's another just, you know, only him. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I was, I was scared. I, I didn't know what life was going to be like. So, um, I immediately got myself into AA. Yeah. Um, and the only reason why is I was like, well, the judge is going to make me go anyway. So maybe I could look good in his eyes. So he wouldn't put me back in jail. <laughs> right. Um, immediately got a sponsor, um, uh, started working the steps. Um, but I still felt uneasy first 30 days and then I was like I I need something I I need something else um so my parents helped me get into a rehab facility in in Euless Texas it was called the Mm -hmm. right step um and that's when I kind of figured that's when I felt like I okay I I feel like this is possible Mm -hmm. like I feel like I can I can do this yeah like you know the urges are are going on are, are leaving you know, the thoughts, the emotions, you know, all of that um, started shifting. And in rehab, they knew I was, I, I got it, and I, I was getting it. Um, there were people in there that have been in, like, 16, 17 rehab facilities that just don't get it, and it's court-ordered. They're going, I went myself because I felt like I needed more help. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was helping people in the rehab Mm. with their situations and even the counselors were like yeah you know talk to nate he has you know an incredible story and he he just kind of gets it 
Um, so that was a unique experience as well. And then after rehab, I just, I, I stayed in AA for maybe about a year. I didn't work all the steps. There's 12 steps in that AA program. I just kind of felt like I outgrew AA. Mm. It, it was good at getting me from negative 10 to zero. I needed a plan mm -hmm. after that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to be stuck in these meetings, in these rooms, smoking cigarettes, down in pots of coffee, energy drinks. Just, it was just a really, for me personally, an unhealthy environment. Yeah. I needed more. I needed more to life. I needed something more. Yeah. yeah. Go, going back to those first 30 days, did you, and you said you didn't have the desire anymore. Did you stone, like completely shut it off all the way mm -hmm. those yep. first 30 days? Uh, so were you physically like sick? Like what, uh -uh. how were you physically? I didn't get sick. Really? I, I had no, like, detox symptoms, anything like that. No way. Yeah. After 10 years of just about everyday abuse, mm -hmm. you stopped just like that. Yep. Just wow. like that. Never went back to it again. Oh, my gosh. And before, prior to that, I, I mean, I tried hundreds of times to, to get sober and clean yeah. and nothing. In those times, I, I would get sick, and that's why I would go back to it. I'm like, it, it ain't worth it. Uh, do, do doctors or anybody, I mean, do they have a, an explanation? It's just divine yeah. intervention. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only they explanation. They can't explain it. Uh-uh. Walk wow. us through, like, the rehab, right? So for those that have not been inside of it, when you say the help, like, what are you, what are you going through? Like, what are, you, what are your counselors, what are, what are the people helping you figure out through that process? Um, so rehab is basically, it's taking you out of your environment. Mm -hmm. um, and, it's, and they're trying to help you figure out why mm -hmm. you're coping with drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, and trying to just figure out um, life and, and how you can move forward mm -hmm. um, without, without it. And like I said, there's <coughs> people in there that have you know, just they're in and out of rehabs and they're just, they're just not ready and they don't, they don't quite get it or, you know, something like happened to me didn't happen to them yet. Um, so a lot of it is just people that don't want to be there per se. And then the counselor is just managing that with people that don't really care. Yeah. And that was, that was a, big part of it and maybe out of all the people that were in there you know is maybe me and another person that you know kind of cared that we were there and we wanted yeah. to try and get better yeah most of it's court ordered mm -hmm. people just getting away from their current life yeah, situation parents, parents just getting out them go yeah. just getting out of their situation yeah. which as soon as they get out and most of the time they'll leave early you know they can't necessarily keep you there yeah and they're off to the races again. And I stayed in contact with several, and, I mean, they, you know, a lot of them end up getting back to it and yeah. ODing and, mm. and dying. So when you talk about finding something more than AA, like I needed, I mean, it sounds like you needed purpose, like something to keep you w wake up in the morning and excited about making an impact. And obviously – you know, you had a moment with God where, okay, hey, he, and I'm, I'm assuming you thought, okay, he saved me for something. Mm -hmm. he saved, and so 
what is that when you say, okay, hey, I, I need, this isn't a good environment, but I need something more. What does that process look like trying to figure that out for you? Um, just diving into um, becoming, like you said, I felt like, you know, he, he saved me for, for a reason. Um, and, and diving into becoming uh, almost a, a vessel that he could use to, to help others. And, but I had to help myself first. And that was, um, I got into working out. Yeah. Um, this lady would take us, or she would come into the rehab once a week or twice a week, run us through a little yoga workout or whatever, but I, I liked it. Yeah. And it, it, it felt good. It kind of hit the same parts of the brain yeah. as the drugs and alcohol did. I was just going to ask, because we say that, but coming from somebody who's personally mm. experienced it, yep. it felt... Oh yeah. That same kind of good feeling. That was, that was it. Wow. And it felt great. So then, um, started working out just at my apartment gym, looking up men's health fitness, the next workout that they had and, and just kind of went at it uh, on my own. And then, um, had a buddy who he actually baptized me in Lake Louisville, really good friend of mine, Chris, Chris Smith. Um, he owned a CrossFit gym and he's like, Hey man, you, you got to try this. It's like, nah, it's not for me. Yeah. <laughs> or somebody's going to get hurt or whatever, you know, Hot yoga's you my know thing. all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. 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 Nah, bro, I, I actually like wearing a shirt when I work out. So I'm good. Yeah, yeah I'm good. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, one day I, I tried it out and just absolutely fell in love with it. The first, yeah. I remember my first wad, my first workout. Um, and that just, the community aspect of it that mm -hmm. gave me my community yep. that I needed. Um, and it did more for me mentally than it ever did physically. And it still does to this day. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I, I call it taming the silver back in my mind. Yeah. Huh. And, that's and if good. I go two days without working out, you know, Amber, my wife is like, you yeah. should probably go work out, huh? Has yeah. it been a couple Weird. days? No, yeah. I'm the same way. Yeah. Yeah. It feels so odd to not, get some sort of sweat in yep. yeah. for the day. Yeah, Whitney usually just tells him every day, yeah. maybe you should just <laughs> maybe, leave right. and go work out or do whatever you got to do. Just not, don't be here. Right. Yeah. You, you mentioned Palio's Pizza earlier, your father-in-law. Uh -huh. So were you? when did you get married to your current wife? When did y'all meet? I mean, was she with you through? She, we were together um, the last part of my addiction, and I was really good at hiding it. Huh. for for a long time she really had no clue she knew we would go out and drink and things like that but i was just really good at hiding it did her dad know i mean he, he was... knew because he knew from the previous marriage and everything okay. that went down okay. there and i mean at some point i was living out of my car and yeah. i was homeless wow. and, yeah. and, and things like that so he knew the type of person i was yeah. um and it definitely was not the type of person he wanted his daughter to be married to. So right. that, it's a pretty crazy story. So we were together, um, talked about marriage, maybe engaged at that point. And then it just all started unraveling for me. So I, I would get drunk at, at work and I just knew people's schedules and the next restaurant over, you know, I, I knew the bartender there and, I get drunk at work and then I almost ran over somebody delivering a pizza and it happened to be like an off duty officer. Mm. Um, 
and uh, he called the police on me. I got arrested at work, so his his restaurant. Um, and oh. I told the police that you know I know all the managers in the restaurants here, and we're gonna you know spit in your food. Anybody that's a police officer. So it's really I'm <laughs> got not, too, him. <laughs> not too proud of that moment. Sure. And then he got to the city counselor or whatever and they're like, Well, we're just not gonna, you know, eat at your restaurant and whatever if if you don't fire this this person. So he ended up firing me and that's when we separated. He that's kind of when he found out we were together because we were hiding it. Uh. Um is he's Palestinian. He's got some old traditions uh-huh. um, that he uh, held on to. And, you know, I, I will, probably wasn't the typical or sure. the man that he wanted to marry his, his daughter. And um, he even eventually uh, had a bad relationship with her and didn't want anything to do with her. Um, and then that's when we separated. And I just, that's when it all really kind of went downhill. And then um, when I went into rehab, we weren't talking or anything. I actually um, went to a florist before I went in, mm-hmm. and I had them have it delivered when I was halfway through rehab to her. And it was just this little note on there. I was like, you know, please don't kill these ones because there was an inside joke. She would always kill the flowers that <laughs> I get her plants. <laughs> so that was delivered to her, and then that just sparked, like, whatever she was doing in life. And I, I, I made a promise to her that I would give her the man that she deserved mm. if she would give me another chance. Wow. So she visited me in rehab once, and then that was it. I think we got married six months uh, from when I was clean and sober. Wow. Yeah. How no, big of a part of your uh, sobriety is, was she in that moment? You know, six months in, how much more influence did that have on you that relationship with her? huge yeah. and just like i said it was uh you know i wanted to give her the man she deserved that she never really got um and that was a huge driving force yeah. and that was a prayer of mine in rehab you know god if you can do whatever you have to do to keep me clean and sober you know and i i want her back and, and and do what you need to do to get her back, and I promise you, I will, I will stay clean and sober. Yeah. So you had the purpose of you know helping others through rehab. You had the purpose of being the man that you your wife deserved, mm-hmm. and then eventually you decide that you wanted to create Jacked Addicts. Right. Where did that come into play? Where did that idea come from? Tell us about that. So uh, I mentioned I I started CrossFit. My friend convinced me to do that fell in love with it eventually uh, this is like this is what i want to do mm. uh, i got a job back with my father-in-law at polio's nice. for a little bit yeah <laughs> um, and then um i i just fell in love with crossfit and i got my l1 mm-hmm. uh certification and um i was like this is it this is what i want to do so i opened up my own crossfit gym it's called crossfit silverado it was in mckinney Ended up opening two. Um, there's CrossFit Silverado and Silverado North, which mm-hmm. was kind of Salina, Prosper, mm-hmm. McKinney area. Um, and I just loved helping people. And what I noticed was that I, the people that I could really help were people that struggled with alcohol and drugs, mm-hmm. either in it currently or recovering alcoholics and addicts. Yeah. And it just kept 
you know, hey, this person's really getting this. I'm, I'm helping them change their life. And, oh, it just happens to be, uh, you know, recovering alcoholic or addict. Um, had to sell the first one um, that I owned because the land was sold on it, and I had to get out of that. Second one I had to shut down because of COVID and the pandemic. Mm, yep. Tried to open that one back up, but just people weren't coming back fast enough, and it, it was yeah. a pretty hefty rent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just couldn't do it anymore. So I had to shut those doors down. But probably two years prior to shutting that one down, I, I got into online coaching. Huh. And I, I would help anybody. Right. There wasn't a focus on anybody particular, anybody that wanted to lose weight, build muscle, whatever it was. Um, you know, I, I would help them. And then just one day it was like, well, the people that you can really make an impact in their life are people that are trying to get out of the same hell that you crawled out of. Mm-hmm. And that's when it started really, okay, your main focus is helping people that are battling addiction, regardless if they're still in it or if they have years of sobriety, yeah. to become that better version of themselves. Yeah. So when I mentioned that AA was really good at getting me from negative 10 to zero and I needed a plan after, that became the plan for everybody else I ran yeah. into. And that's how Jacked Addicts came around. It was, I called it something else prior, and I, I was still kind of on the edge of like, should I just dive in and just help? Because everybody that I talked to, they're like, well, if you get somebody you know, close to the fire still and still in active addiction, you know, not all the people have the resources to do your program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what I have found is the majority of people who are alcoholics and addicts are people who have on the outside their life together. Mm. Yeah. The perception is I have a career, mm-hmm. I have a house, I have a family, um, but the inside of me is, is dark mm-hmm. and in a bad, bad place. And it's just a matter of time before it all starts to unravel. Yeah. Wow. So most, most people have that perception of alcoholic addict is homeless under the bridge, yeah, drinking sure. a 40 out of right. a brown bag. And, and that may be 20% of, mm. of addicts. Yeah. It's the majority people just trying to hold it together. Wow. Yeah. You mentioned the feeling that working out gives you, does serving and, and helping others, does that give you that same? It's the, the joy of my life to see huh. somebody come out of the darkest place they've ever been and get free from alcohol and drugs. Yeah, I bet. So is Jacked Addicts, is it an online, like what does what somebody, can somebody expect if they mm-hmm. go visit the So the it's website? an online, so I have clients all over. I just uh, had a client sign up. He's in Australia, I've, Europe, Canada, um, kind of all over the place. So it's, it's virtual. Um, and yeah, it's a heavy focus on nutrition, getting our food right mm-hmm. and eating because we destroyed our health with alcohol yeah. and drugs. That has to be a top priority, um, working out and fitness. Um, so I, I give them custom nutrition plans, custom workout plans. Um, and then it's we're working on the mindset. We're mm-hmm. working on stress management. We're working on time management. Um, handling triggers, handling temptations, oh, um, just a whole overhaul of, of what their life looks like after addiction. Yeah. That's 
All right, I want to take a quick minute to talk about our partner, Choctaw Casino and Resort. Uh, we are really, really humbled uh, and grateful to be a partner for them. If you've listened to the show for any amount of time, uh, you've heard how great the resort is there, how great the casino is, the new expansion. They've doubled in size, 3,000 new slots. They've got unbelievable sports bar. They've got unbelievable restaurants, unbelievable movie theaters, arcades for kids. It is endless, the things that they've not only improved but added. Um, but it's just an the, the experience that they provide is second to none. Choctaw Nation has done an incredible job with the community, with philanthropy, with support. Um, they have just done incredible things. So we are extremely humbled and grateful to partner with Choctaw Casino and Resort. Make sure, I know you know it, it's just a short drive of 75. Go check them out. And now back to the episode. Wow. I love that. So when you, when you had your gyms before, you know, jacked addicts came to be, how, how did you connect, right? How did you find the people that were struggling with addiction or had struggled with addiction that maybe are on the other side of it? But I mean, like they say, once an addict, always an addict, right? Mm -hmm. You've always got something that you're having mm -hmm. to con constantly address and constantly, um, um, just be cautious about, right? Mm -hmm. So, but you're in a gym and I mean, CrossFit, I'd say the community gets really close, but, mm -hmm. but there's constantly new people in and out. Right. right? Um, but were you just transparent with your story from the very beginning? Like, this is who I am. This is what I've gone through. Or how did you find and connect with those types of people? It took me a while. Um, mentioned earlier, you know, it took me a good two years to be able to like function in, in society um, because I, I just didn't know how to do it. Yeah. Know, paying bills, something simple as that, you know, I avoided that and I drank because I didn't want to do yeah. any type of responsibility. Mm -hmm. So that took me a while. But when I had the gyms, I was just really vulnerable about my story. Yeah. And people knew um, that I was a recovering alcoholic and addict mm -hmm. and, um, and they just really drew to my story. And, and opening gyms and, and helping people and, and things like that. So it would almost, they would almost come to me because I was so open so, about yeah. my story and sharing my, my testimony and, and what I went through that they would open up as well. Yeah. Um, so it, it wasn't necessarily, I, w I would have to go find them or anything. And that's the same thing I, I do now with the gyms closed with, with just jacked addicts is um, I'm on Instagram. Yeah. And and I find people there and I, I share my story and I do these, these reels and these videos yeah. that really pertain to yeah. like, if somebody is battling with addiction and they go to my page on Instagram, um, they will feel like somebody gets it. Mm. Somebody is understands what they're, what they're going through. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I even get people that reach out to me and they're like, I'm not, no, I, I don't struggle with addiction, but my, my spouse does yeah. or my, my kid does. Or, hey, what do I do? You know, my, my son is, is, you're describing what my son is going through. How, how do I handle that? Mm. So it's touching people that aren't even battling with addiction. That, and what it comes down to is you're, you've either dealt with addiction, you're going through it, or you know somebody that has or is. Right. It, it touches everybody in, in some way. Absolutely. So it's, it's just amazing to see. Um, just what telling your story and sharing your testimony and what you've been through can really do for a, a lot of people. Yeah. And I, 
and I think that was just, that was it. And just me being super vulnerable about what happened to me and what I went through and how I made it out. Yeah. Has really done for people. Speaking of that, you've got four kids mm-hmm. now. You've got Lucan, Caroline, Rylan, and Forrest. Right. Well done, man. Thank you. Yeah, I know. Thank you. It's good. How? <laughs> I can't remember my own kids. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now ask them all of their birthdays. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're they're 11, 10, 7, and 4. That's right. Okay. Yeah. All right. You got it. There you go. Yeah. Um, what, what's your conversations with them about addiction? They're, the 11 and 10 year old, especially are starting mm-hmm. to get to that age. Yeah. Like wh- how are you broaching this? Dis- I think this is one of my fears as a parent mm-hmm. is, you know, because like you said earlier, your parent, you can have the world's greatest parents. And for whatever reason, you've just got this addictive mentality. Mm-hmm. Right. So what are you telling your kids? How are you approaching parenthood? When it comes to addiction, I'm open and honest. They know what addiction is. They know what alcohol and drugs are. They know what their dad went through. They know how their dad overcame it. Um, I'm open and honest. Mm. And I think that's the way it's got to be. Yeah. Because if you do hide it, I mean, they're my offspring. They mm-hmm. probably got some tendencies. Sure. Yeah. And you can see addiction in all areas of my life. The way I work out, the way I, I'm rigid with my nutrition and eating, the way I handle situations in life, it, it's all or nothing. Yeah. And, and that continues on. But I, I've, I've been able to harness that and use that for positivity rather yeah. than destructiveness. Yeah. Isn't that funny? The same obsessive, you know, zero to 100 mentality that got you in trouble for 15 years mm-hmm. is now the same mentality that, makes you so successful that's fascinating yeah I, I ask so potential clients that I work with I, I give them a questionnaire to fill out really detailed and just their experience and what they're going through and one of the questions is you know think back about when you're chasing drugs and alcohol how much money time resources energy did you put into chasing drugs and alcohol well, what if we turn that towards you becoming the best version of yourself. Mm, yeah. Just a fraction of that. Yeah. yeah. What is possible for you? Yeah. That's a great it question. blows their mind. Yeah. yeah. Because at first, it, you know, I, I think back of the money I spent. It was, I mean, it, probably a, a ballpark is a quarter of a million dollars easy. I was going to ask you, you, you made the, you made the video on your Instagram of when you see how much money you spent on drugs and alcohol. So you think yeah. it was that much. Wow. Yeah. And that's probably conservative. Sure. <laughs> Very conservative. That's the other amazing thing is how addicts are able to scrounge up the resources to continue feeding the. There's a there's a level. Look, I'm not glorifying, but there's a level of discipline to it, right? Like like you said, if you can just translate these skills that you acquired Mm -hmm. through addiction, use those in this area in a healthy way that that brings good things to yourself and other people imagine the impact that you can make right Man, i never thought of it that way yeah. yeah because like you said like there's discipline like to wake up in the morning and and chase that addiction right mm-hmm. and to do that constantly absolutely man i never absolutely. thought about that that's wild and you know you meet really successful and passionate people and yeah um you know a lot of them there's really successful recovered alcoholics and addicts yeah. because of that mentality yeah. of this is what I crawled out of and let's use that 
same tenacity into achieving whatever yeah. they want to achieve. Yeah. So you're how old now? 44. 44. Okay. Four kids, married. Mm. Awesome life now. Probably, probably didn't foresee this. No. Uh-uh. You never know, thought this was even 14 possible. years ago. No. What's the future? Like, where do you go from here? How do you continue to serve people? How do you continue to impact lives? Um, I, I want to create a ministry around mm-hmm. this very thing. Um, my online program, because I talked about it earlier, AA, NA, rehabs, detoxes, establishments, whatever. They're, they're really good at, at getting you sober, mm-hmm. but there's, there's not much help after that. Yeah. And I think that's a real huge disconnect to people. And I'm not saying any of these programs are bad in any way. Mm-hmm. What they do, that has to be a, almost a sole focus. They serve that purpose. That's their yeah. purpose. Yeah. To get you away from it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So th- I have found that there's, there's not anything that yeah does any part of you like you've got the american airlines right the american airlines takes you from dallas fort worth to la but you need the uber to get you from the airport to the hotel yeah i'm big on conspiracies right now right Uh, who is (laughs) it does any part of you think that's by design absolutely that there is no true rehabilitation that it keeps you coming back they they make you just enough is there any part of you that thinks I, that? I do. I do. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not totally crazy. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> <I'm> not totally. <laughs> I mean, I just, just think that all aspects of, of society right. where we do that, right. medical care, yeah. you know, I mean, they this, want this lifelong what you're customers. Right. Yeah. You, you can't, you can't make money off people that are uh-huh. clean, right. sober, strong, independent. Right. Right. God, that sucks. Have you had, <laughs> have you felt any pushback anywhere on, on, attacking this segment of like lifelong sobriety and, and purpose? Um, I mean, pushback, not necessarily, but I mean, there's people, you know, trolls on yeah. on social media and things like that, yeah. which I, I don't yeah. even care. I just say, thanks for your support. Yeah. I really it means a yeah. lot to me. Tell, tell, tell <laughs> Pfizer. I said, what's up? Yeah. Right. I'm yeah. a lobbyist. So, so no, but that is also, you know, you're helping people, Get yeah. free from yeah. something that makes certain people money. Absolutely. Yeah. So the bigger you get, I'm sure you will start to see that. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Which only fuels my fire because it means I'm doing what I yes. need to be doing. That's right. Yes. Yeah. That's so, right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. When you start ruffling feathers, you know you're onto something. That's right. Yes. Yeah. That's what I've come to realize these past few, you know, especially really the past few years. It's just mm-hmm. the disruption is. Means you're on something. Anytime yeah. I get a little resistance around something, that means I, I dive head first into whatever that is. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's great. That's Man, great. I love your story so much. I love how open you are about it. Mm. I love how honest you are. You're not make not once did you make a single excuse for your behavior. And even though, you know, you legitimately had issues that, you know, maybe were out of your control. And I mean, I know there's somebody listening that, that can feel what you're talking about and is maybe they're going through this right now. What do you say to that person? If somebody's struggling with this, they're hiding it. Well, they're functioning still, like you said, most people are, how do you encourage that person? What would you say to that person? Uh, reach out, just, just reach out. Um, don't, don't lose hope. Um, if it's like, like me, you, you've tried a hundred times, just don't, don't quit trying. 
Just don't. Because that's when you truly lose at this, yeah. is when you stop trying to get free from it. Yeah. And then all hope is gone. Yeah. How so, important is hope in this process? Uh, it's, uh, yeah, and faith. Oh, man. Hope and faith. I think it's everything. Because yeah. I, left to my own devices, there's two paths, is prison or death. Mm-hmm. So you have to have faith. You have to have hope. Uh, because if you don't, then... We are our own demise. Yeah. 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 How can people connect with you? What's the best way to find you? Best way? Instagram. Yeah. Nate underscore Awad. Okay. A-W-A-D. A-W-A-D. I was looking uh-huh. up, up yeah. Jack Daddix. That's what I was doing. Yeah. I wasn't just on my phone. I was yeah, he's up. sitting there on his phone while we're That's sitting right. here. Yeah. Yeah. Intimate discussion. So my personal account there. Um, and DM me. Yeah. And, and then we can connect and... Um, we can hop on a call and connect and I, I want to hear their story. Yeah. I want to, I want to hear what's going on. Um, I want to share my story with them to, to give them some hope and, and know that there, um, there's ways, there's ways out and there, there's ways to, to get free from this. Yeah. Have you considered starting a podcast yourself? Actually? Yeah, I have. On, Look yeah. at you. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, if there's anything we can do to help yeah, on that any front. Any support yeah. we can provide. We man. have no clue yeah. what we're doing, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. we are a little bit ahead of you in the, in the fact that we started this. Yeah, yeah. we've yeah. just been doing it. That's it. <laughs> right. That's it. Uh, no, but I think you you're, yeah. you have a message, and, yeah. and you could touch all, so many people yeah. with your story and your encouragement. You clearly have a gift for encouragement yeah. and, and for, for helping people through these situations. Yeah, and, man, and, and, and just encourage you, man, the, the transparency that you show, the one thing, the thing that, not the one thing, the thing that we found on this podcast is really the people that are making the real impact are real. Hmm. And I think right. through this Instagram age, we can, we're starting to get good at calling out the BS, right? Yeah. And so just, man, appreciate your transparency mm-hmm. and authenticity about it. Mm-hmm. Because that's how you're going to get people to come out of the shadows into right. the light, right? Absolutely. So, man, I appreciate you and all that you're doing. And, dude, we're yeah. fans forever. Yeah, huge so. fans. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Really. We'll have to go on the website and yeah. get some, some T-shirts. What? So maybe we'll do a fundraiser. We'll do like a – we'll do a wad, you versus Ben. Man, and I'll yeah, be the judge. The guy that like, doesn't do – the only guy that right. doesn't do I'll CrossFit? Like, no yeah. rep. No rep. <laughs> there we go. No rep. Yeah. No rep. Yeah. How about you do a versus him? You actually do CrossFit. I'm down. So. No, I didn't call myself Jax twice. It, if 60 <laughs> minutes right. – yeah, you got to live up to it now. If 60 minutes of bicep curls is CrossFit, then, yeah, I do CrossFit. Hey, cardio, just lift weights faster. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Man, Nate, thank you so much. Really yeah. appreciate you. We'd love to have you back on. Yes. Yeah. You know, I want to continue here how, you know, how the podcast starts going, how right. Jacked Addicts, yeah. Yeah. you know, the progress there. And, man, this, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah I really appreciate it. It was just an honor to be, be on the show. Oh, so. Absolutely, man. Our, thank it's you guys. our pleasure. And, and, again, fans for life, man, anything we can do to support you, just let us know. Awesome. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. Yeah.